Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. We welcome each and every one of you here this morning. My name is Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me our wonderful lay leader, Carol Ginn, this morning. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. The Blessings of Trust We gather today to receive the blessings of trust. May the relationships in this room help us notice we do not walk alone. May the quiet we share help us connect to and trust our deepest self. May the music offered help us feel and hold tight to the restorative rhythms of the world. May the words offered remind us that we too have a voice, one that must be trusted and shared. Unitarian Universalism does not have a creed. We don't have a set of beliefs that we all have to agree with and sign on to. We draw from all of the world's traditions, uh, faith traditions, and wisdom resources. Sometimes, though, people say, well, if you don't have a common set of beliefs, what holds you together? What do you keep in common? Well, we have a set of principles that we hold together and a set of values, and out of those values arose our mission statement. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. This reading is from A Hidden Wholeness, The Journey Toward an Undivided Life by Parker J. Palmer. If we are willing to embrace the challenge of becoming whole, we cannot embrace it alone, at least not for long. We need trustworthy relationships to sustain us, tenacious communities of support to sustain the journey toward an undivided life. Taking an inner journey toward rejoining soul and role requires a rare but real form of community that I call a circle of trust. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. We breathe together. We feel the loving presence of those all around us. And breathing in, breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place of great trust, that spark of the divine within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, 
remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing together, let us enter that time of sacred silence together.
what does it mean to trust? What does it mean to be trustworthy? What does it mean to have faith, to trust that we are a part of something larger than ourselves? Well, our lifespan, faith development classes and activities have been exploring these and other questions involving trust this month. So this morning, I want to look at these concepts of trust, trustworthiness, and faith a little further. I want to start with some interesting research from a psychologist named John Gottman. Gottman looked at romantic relationships, spouses, as well as family relationships, friends, other loved ones, and examined how is it that we build trust? How does trust develop in our relationships? And what he found is interesting, I think, because it's a little counterintuitive to what we might think. It's not the really big grand gestures that build trust. It's not the inviting my spouse on a long romantic getaway weekend. It's not buying a nice fancy, expensive present for a family member. It's the small gestures done over and over through time that actually build trust. So it's noticing that my spouse is looking like he's a little bit upset and putting my smartphone aside and saying, hey, hon, what's going on with you? It's calling my sister to say, I know you've got that big presentation that's really important to you tomorrow, and I want you to know I'm thinking of you, and I think it's going to go great. My grandfather brought my grandmother coffee in bed every morning of their life together. He really banked some trust points by doing that. And I think that it likely works the same way here at the church. Yes, a member of the Caring Council calling us when we're in the hospital, the minister doing the memorial service of a loved one. These are important, and they help build trust. But most likely, trust is built again by those little small gestures over time. So trust is built when we see the person with the visitor tag standing in our new gallery looking confused about where they're supposed to go next, and we go up to them and and we say, can we help you? It's sending a card or making a phone call to say, hey, I heard about your loss and I want you to know I'm thinking about you. It's a friendly smile from across the fellowship hall. It's saying thank you to the flocks of fine folks that do the many marvelous ministries here at the church. What's interesting is Gottman also found that just as trust is built with those small gestures, the loss of trust, distrust is created in those same small ways. So if I don't put the smartphone aside and notice what's going on with my spouse, that takes trust away. If we walk right past that visitor in the gallery and don't say something, that destroys trust. So trust is built in these small moments. But I think it's important to also ask ourselves, what do we mean by that great big term, trust? What goes into it? How would we define it? Well, one of my favorite gurus, Brene Brown, has done some research on this, and she's got a video up at brenebrown.com. You've heard me talk about her before. She's a writer, author, researcher, and social worker. The video is called The Anatomy of Trust. In it, she quotes the following definition from another trust researcher and consultant named Charles Feltman. Feltman defines trust like this. Trust is choosing to make something that is important to me vulnerable to the actions of someone else. 
Trust is choosing to make something that is important to ourselves vulnerable to the actions of other people. So distrust is when what I've shared with you that's important to me turns out not to be safe with you. Now, Brown takes this overarching definition, and then she goes to her research and looks at what are the components of trust? Are there smaller parts of trust? What goes into it? The anatomy of trust, the elements of trust. And she comes up with this acronym. It's called BRAVING, which I really like for a couple of reasons, because she says, one, trust means braving connection, and that helps me remember the acronym. And then the acronym helps me remember these elements that go into trust. So I'm going to review these briefly. I would encourage you to also watch her video at some point if you get the chance. So the first part of the acronym, the B, stands for boundaries. We are clear with each other about our boundaries. We express them openly, and we respect one another's boundaries. Let me give you an example. I have a friend who told me that it's really hard for her to deal with sarcastic humor because that kind of humor was used to hurt her at a younger age. She's given me a boundary there, so I don't use that kind of humor around her in respect for that boundary she's told me about. Next is reliability. What this means is we do what we tell each other we're going to do, not once, but over and over and over again. Brene Brown warns that in our rapid society today, we are all being pushed to overcommit. And when we do this in our relationships, that's when we're not reliable because we've promised more than we can do. And so she warns against overcommitting so that we can be honest about what we can reliably be there for. Next is accountability. I think this is going to be really important when we talk about our church covenant, which we're going to get to in a little bit. This is it. Accountability is when we make mistakes. And my friends, we are human. We will make mistakes. We own that mistake, we apologize for it, and we make amends. And we allow each other that process of owning that mistake, of being accountable. I think it's important to note one exception here. When trust has been repeatedly broken and abused, if it becomes clear that one person in the relationship either is not capable of or not willing to be accountable, then sometimes we have to withdraw our trust. Her next topic is something I love. It's called the vault. What she means by the vault is when you and I share confidential stories, we lock those up in a vault between us. We don't share those with other people. But she says, importantly, we sometimes forget there's another side of the vault. There's another door. And the example she gives is if I come up to you and I say, have you heard about Bob and Betty? They're getting a divorce. It seems one of them may have had an affair with someone half their age. I've shared with you something that wasn't mine to share. And you may enjoy the gossip for a moment. What's going to happen later when you get home? Wow. If he told me that about them, what is he telling others about me? And so this breaks down and destroys trust. Next, integrity. Integrity she defines like this. Choosing courage over comfort doing what's right over what's fast, fun, or easy, and practicing our values, not just professing them. 
So this church lists as one of its values compassion. And if I say that's one of my values and then you observe me acting in uncompassionate ways, if I'm uncompassionate to you, that shows a lack of integrity and that undermines trust. Next, non-judgment. This is being okay with asking for help and being okay with offering help when others ask us for it and not judging them for that. Now, this can be harder than it seems. Let me ask this. How many of us find it easier to offer and give help than to ask for help? I'm guilty of that. We're making a judgment about ourselves when we do that. We're thinking that asking for help is weakness. And if we're judging ourselves in that way, isn't it possible we're judging others in that way when they ask for help and that they may pick up on that and that that can erode trust? So this non-judgment, being okay with asking each other for help is really important. And then finally, she talks about generosity. This is that we make generous assumptions about each other's words and actions, and we check in with each other. So if I've told a friend that I'm going through something really difficult, and then I expect to hear back from that friend and I don't hear from them, I don't just presume it's because they don't care, right? I make a generous assumption, and I check in, and I say, hey, I wanted to see what's going on with you. Remember, I told you I had this thing happening that's really hard? Giving them the chance, then, to respond. I just had this happen, and you know what the friend said? I'm out of town. My dad has cancer. That's why I hadn't heard from them. If I had made an assumption that they didn't care, I would have been completely wrong. I want to point out that we used to have in our covenant, I believe, and you see it pop up a lot of places, a statement about assuming good intentions in all interactions. I think that can actually be a problematic way to look at things. I think this is actually more the reverse. It's having the generosity to not immediately presume ill intent, which is a little bit different. Now, Brown points out that this braving conceptualization works for ourselves also, because after all, self-trust can be some of the most difficult, especially if we've just made a mistake or had something go really wrong. So we can ask ourselves, am I giving my own self, respecting my own boundaries? Am I being reliable with myself? Am I showing integrity? And I love also that she breaks it down this way because it gives us a way to talk about it that's not as charged. What I mean by that is if I say to you, I don't trust you or I can't trust you, how does that feel? And what does it tell you about why I don't trust you? Absolutely nothing. So this gives us a way to get specific. I can say, here's what I'm struggling with. You've promised me several times to do these things, and you haven't done them, and so I don't feel that I can rely on you. Now, that may still be hard to hear, but what happens there is the other person knows what's breaking down trust, and knows how to rebuild trust. Or you could say to me, I told you about this boundary and you keep crossing it. Well, then I know how to try to rebuild trust. I want to talk a minute about why I believe this is a spiritual matter, that it can actually be a spiritual discipline, especially for Unitarian Universalists. As we often talk about, we are a faith without creed. We don't have a prescribed set of beliefs we all share. And unlike some of our friends of other faiths, some of us don't believe in a higher power, some omnipotent being in which we can trust to take care of us and our world. 
So we root our faith, our trust, in a set of principles and values that we all share. And here at this church, we place our faith in the mission we have discerned together. We trust in it as our higher common purpose. And so Unitarian Universalism finds the holy, experiences faith through loving, accountable, healthy relationships with one another, with our communities, with our larger world, and with the web of all existence. Relationships rooted in those values and principles. This is where we experience what some of us call the divine, what others call the ultimate, what others may just say is larger than us, but of which we are a part and can place our trust. And we do that, we root that relationship in covenant, a set of solid practice, I'm sorry, a set of sacred promises that we make to one another about how we'll be in relationship in healthy and accountable ways. And that, that requires trust. Now, here's the conundrum, though, that we run into here. In a church this large, in a church doing some of the difficult work around anti-oppression, anti-racism, etc., that we're trying to do, Talking about trust as meaning that no one will ever mess up, no one will ever make a mistake, no one will ever feel hurt, I don't think is realistic. We will make mistakes. And that's why our covenant has a statement in it that we agreed to be called back into covenant if we have fallen outside of it. I think this braving way of thinking about trust gives us a way to live the promises in our covenant and be accountable to them and to one another even if we fail sometimes. It provides a framework that can help us keep the promises alive. It gives us a way to think about trust that acknowledges the work we have to put into it. I think without some kind of conceptualization like this, there's a danger that covenant can become shallow, that it can actually be used as a weapon to silence folks who are pointing out when we are not living out our professed principles and values, and that this has happened too often to people of color within Unitarian Universalism. So braving, at least implicitly acknowledged, acknowledges that loving, accountable relationships involve risk, that they come at a cost, but that that love is worth it. Now, if we trust, if we love, not only will we make mistakes, but at some point we will also experience loss, grief, and sorrow. As some of you know, I've just gone through this. I lost a furry, four-legged friend recently. I'll tell you something, though. My friends, you can trust that love is more than worth braving it. Wouldn't give up my life with that little furry friend for anything. Braving says that we can trust that love is worth the risk and worth our efforts to create and maintain it. Braving love is how we do religion as Unitarian Universalism and the place within our faith where our faith can be found. May we go about the holy work of braving trust and love together. Amen. Please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. 
These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. I'm going to keep on till I find it. There is more love somewhere. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.